Imagine me and you and Stu. I think about them day and night. Those family guys, the talking dog and shitty son, whose name is Chris, so happy together. I'm gonna turn on Hulu and have some fun with Peter G and Lois G and everyone. And when I'm done, I'll go online and choose a podcast and listen to it's on the list. I can't see me listening to this podcast for all my life. It seems today that all you see are violence in movies and sex on TV. That's it. <laughs> that is so good. I love it. I, um, one that was atrocious. But also, yeah. too, thank you very much. Uh, that brought so much joy into my otherwise very stressful day. Um, you Listen, have to yourself. I don't know if that's something that deserves a congratulations. But either way, uh, you're back, baby. We are back. <laughs> Mason and I are seeing each other for... Uh, it doesn't matter to you guys, but we're doing a shit ton of recording this week. So this is the second day. Second second day this week, I get to see yes. you, my friend Mason. Mason, Hello. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? It's going okay. Uh, you just, we should just do the show. How about that? <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so folks, very excited today. Very good guest. Online friend of mine for a little bit here. Good taste. Uh, good person. She's a uh, filmmaker. She's a uh, delight. I'll let her introduce herself. Mary Moreno, welcome to the podcast. Woo! I just said, Hi. I was going to let her introduce herself, and then I introduced her, so yeah. No, no, you really said everything I wanted to say. I, like, never know how to introduce myself, so it's always, like, really long and awkward. I'm just like, I'm Marin. I'm a feminist filmmaker, and it yes, kind of just, like, puts yeah. everyone out. So, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of sucks the joy out of the room. People are like, ooh. And then, all right, folks, that was a great podcast. Let's wrap this one up here. Feminist filmmaker to be like, and we're done. We're wrapping this thing up. I I wasn't expecting the family guy bit, though. I have a new family guy bit myself, actually. What? Oh, really? Yeah, no, I totally do. Because um, me and my friend were just, like, talking about just, like, shitty tokenizing representation. So I was talking about, like, they cancel family guy and just call it... um, queer family guy where everyone's just like queer oh. Lois queer Peter Griffin and like they just like just go like hey queer Peter hey queer Lois and like each episode's like a wow. very special episode you know where they just like learn about different issues and people are like is this the most like progressive show ever like is this possibly <laughs> awesome. the best LGBT representation and it's just the same show except no comedy and just Queer Peter, Queer Lois. I finally might be able to tell people that I actually like Family Guy at that point if that's what Family (laughs) Guy was. It, like, becomes this thing. Like, on, like, the cover of Variety, people are like, oh, like, new, like, LGBT show to watch. Queer Family Guy. (laughs) Family Guy. Yes. Uh, It's very, you know, if we weren't, if that show wasn't inclusive enough before, I think you really put it over the edge uh, as far as inclusivity is is concerned. I mean, under the Disney umbrella now, so so Queer Family Guy could show up on Freeform in the 
in the near future here. Like, let's not. <laughs> live action? Would that be live action if it was on Freeform? I don't think Freeform has yet to roll out their exciting <laughs> queer animated shows yet. But that could be, like, the I landmark show, the show that gets it in. I feel like even the word queer is too edgy for Freeform. It would be, like, bleeped out, you know? They would, they would have sure. to think of another word. Like, I feel like that's, like, pushing the envelope for Disney, but... That's all I had to say on my bay. I was just super excited because it was really entertaining me for like a solid two hours when I was also doing a socially distance hang and just saying like, hey, queer Peter, for like hours. Because I'm a <laughs> Would fool love to too, see that. you know? Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Feminism is being stupid sometimes and saying sometimes. that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Women can be stupid, too. Women can be stupid, too. Women can be sad, also. That's an important thing True. to remember for this week. Wow. Mason, but very good. <laughs> very good, Mason. I don't want to segue. I don't want to segue King too hard into the actual discussion because we talked about it off mic, and now we need to know. So, <laughs> listeners, Marin has a poster behind her. Yes. Um, that we can only see uh, on the Zoom chat the bottom of, and it is a woman squatting in a bikini, and we heard that there's quite the history behind this poster. So, Marin, tell us the story behind this poster. Please. Well, I will, I will pivot the camera up so you can see it after I finish telling the story. Or I'll just do it now, actually. Let me yeah. pull it up. It's a Lil' Kim poster. And it's, like, the famous, oh, which which tells me about how, like, both of you are white. Like, I'm sorry. Like, you did not <laughs> yeah, recognize. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, this is, like, fucking iconic. I've... It's the little Kim poster where she's crouching and it says coming soon on the bottom. But some of your listeners may know. I don't know your demographics, but anyways, my older brother. It's just brother, me and Mason. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you guys listening to it again. Just being like, oh, where it burned us. Yes. But, um, my, um, my older brother, when I was a little kid, he was a uh, battle rapper. He uh, is not very oh, good. Wow. No he's, way. He's very uh, horrible. But um, we would, like, collaborate and stuff when I was a little kid. Like, that whole, like, Jay-Z song where, like, the Annie, like, uh, sample, we would do that. Oh, Hard Knock Life. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, he would be, like, rapping about, like, whatever. And then I was, like, a little kid. So he'd be, like, sing this shit. And that's, like, edgy because the kid's singing it. And we were, (laughs) like, best buddies, (laughs) you know. Like, when we, like, drove around together, like, I got to sit in, like, the front seat, not the back seat with my other siblings because we were, like, musical collaborators. And I, like, got to pick one song on the car ride. It was a very big deal, you know. Absolutely. And so, uh, obviously, especially, like, this was, like, I think even like before Nicki Minaj being popular. So like totally there really wasn't a lot of like there was like a big dry spell of like women in rap. So really it was like lip gloss by like Lil Mama and then Lil Kim. Got her a shot of Missy Elliott too. Yeah, true, true. He, I feel like he didn't listen to Missy Elliott, I think, because she, like, wasn't super sexualized and he was, like, a teenage boy. Sure. So he was, like, if I'm, like, going to listen to, like, yeah. a woman in rap, she, like, he better a big be fan in of, underwear. Uh, of Milkshakes by Kellis? Oh, good so, question. Like, in his rotation? <laughs> you know, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I feel like he was more into, if he had to pick between, like, milkshake or like my humps i feel like he was more of a okay guy if i had to make an educated guess so the long story short the poster was a gift to sort of be like 
girl power, women in rap. You can do anything, Marin. You could be a rapper awesome. too. So I've just always had it at every place that I lived at. I used to have like more like er- erotic posters and stuff, but my boyfriend said, no, people will think they're mine and they'll be like, sure. Austin's like a-, a horny little freak. And so we can't put these up. And so that's like as risky as I can get. I got to ask, are you still involved in the battle rap scene, even though you're not collabing with your brother anymore? You know, I fucking wish. Sometimes I, like, go and watch his old videos on YouTube, and, like, they're always, like, in, like, a field or, like, a warehouse. Like, it <laughs> That's was not, so good. It was, like, not cool. Like, this is, like, a Sacramento. Some real eight-mile shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, battle rap crew. And, like, he was kind of, like, an intellectual rapper. Where, like, of he'd, course. Like, wear, like, a pea coat and be like, so I see. And so I was, like, <laughs> I didn't realize that your brother was logic. Why didn't you just say that <laughs> at the top there? Damn, bro. Crazy. One video, like, it's him, and he's, like, definitely, like, I think in, like, his early 20s by this point, like, battle rapping this, like, 16-year-old girl, and she just, like, bodies him, and it's just, like, so powerful. Rapping <laughs> feminism, that's feminism. That he's, is like, feminism. coming in and just, like, being all slow, and then she's, like, I'm gonna fucking bust your head out, and I'm just, like... <gasps> yes queen like (laughs) i wish i could have said that like whenever i was like mad at him when i was a little kid you know i'm just like damn like what's that girl's phone number you know like (laughs) yeah (laughs) damn wow okay so a whole a whole double life that no one here would have known about if we hadn't asked hey what's on the poster yeah Uh, i i'm glad it had a story and it wasn't just like uh, i don't know well don't talk to me about it (laughs) Also off pod, uh, before we actually get into our like full discussion, the reason why we brought you here today off pod, we were also talking about you had some Oregon specific geography opinions that I wanted to hash out because uh, originally I am from, as stated many times on this podcast, I am from uh, just outside of Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm currently in Portland, Oregon because of COVID and not having a job in LA anymore. Uh, And you are not to dox you too hard, but you're also currently in the Pacific Northwest as well, right? Yeah, no, I'll I'll see. I feel like it's part of my persona being like Olympia, Washington. What are your fans going to do? I don't know. (laughs) Absolutely. That's not a challenge. That's not a challenge. Yeah, no, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm originally from, like, Sacramento, and so I've done the drive between there and actually all the way down to L.A. When I was in school at Evergreen, like, spring break, I would always drive all the way down to L.A. with my friends, so I have a lot of, like, opinions about, like, all the cities that you hit when you go down the five. Of course. Oh, boy. One of my biggest opinions is that, like, at least, like, you go from, like, Olympia to Portland, and it's, like, fine. Nothing really happens. You, like, see, like, the Wilco Superstore, and then you're just like, oh, Wilco. And then you, like, get outside (laughs) Portland, and then, like, you hit Salem. And Salem's just, like, fucking hell on earth. Like, I stopped at the (laughs) McDonald's there once, and it was, like, a McDonald's museum, but, like, it was all dusty and creepy. and Very good. (laughs) It's very excellent stop. Yeah. And then, like, you go, like, another hour, two hours. I don't fucking know. And then you hit, like, Eugene, Oregon, which is, like, fucking adorable. I love Eugene. I, like, 
it's a lot it's very sacramento actually it was like more like racially diverse than like some like pnw cities that i've been in like i actually like saw other mexican people there that was cool uh it's just like a cute little town and i just wish that eugene and salem could swap places because i would seriously contemplate like living in eugene if i was just like a skip and a jump away from like a bigger city like portland but instead it's like like salem's there and it's just like this this place where like your your heart just drops and like you feel all depressed and it's all gray and sad well i will say (laughs) that is i mean that kind of is the unfortunate reality of oregon and i feel like a lot of places that have like like one city maybe two that's known for being like a shiny beacon of blue quote unquote you know mm-hmm, where it's like mm-hmm. that city is like what most people think of when they think of the state as a whole but in reality Oregon uh Portland and Eugene are sort of like the like holy grail cities and mm-hmm. everything else is like deliverance like it's just like <laughs> so scary yeah it's like nothing and nothing and like I guess I like sort of relate to the area too is because like you drive like 10 minutes outside Sacramento and it's just like farmland, marshland, just super rural, you know, I'm like pretty much like a country gal, you know? And so sort of like the, the ruralness of like, uh, of Oregon, it's really just like two cities. And then like, it's just cows, flat, flat, dry, creepy, weird. Washington's sort of similar, except a little bit more lush, a little bit. Yes, I'm biased. No, totally. And you're right. (laughs) I mean, you're biased and you're correct. Mason, do you have any opinions (laughs) on the geography of the, of Oregon, specifically the I-5 part of Oregon? So the only time I've been through, I had a cousin that got married. Uh, His now wife is from uh, like up, up in Washington, like up touching like Vancouver basically. And so we went there for like sort of Bellingham area. Exactly. I was exactly in Bellingham for this wedding. Good. I, Ooh. (laughs) Uh, So we were up there for this wedding. It was like the week after Christmas. So it was like so rainy. And honestly, like I loved it because I was living in LA in the time I was starved for moisture. I was in the wettest place I've ever been in my fucking life. And I was uh, in love with that place. And then I took, the train from Seattle down to Oakland. So the oh, only wow. time I've been through um, Washington and Oregon is via train. And I got to say, when you're taking the, like, Coast Starlight, I think that was Yeah, like, what's yes. it called? Like, the Cascade, whatever the fuck. I've been on... I love uh-huh. Amtrak. I wish it wasn't I so Amtrak expensive. So yeah, I wish that the primary way we got around this country was via train, just because, like, I love being on the land and, like, taking, like, long trips through, like, stretches of, like, nothing. But I don't like driving, and I don't like being a passenger in a car. I want to, like, get up, walk around, have some, yeah. like, tea. It's uh, you really do wish the trains were the thing. Damn. <laughs> Damn. This is the the most... Who uh, pu- uh, gives a shit? I don't know what I was going to say. Uh, this is the most pre what the fuck? I can't think of the words I was going to say. Let's move Bro, on. You are fucking crazy right so now. So we don't only have Marin on to talk about the history of uh, SAC battle rap. And, and you know, Oregon drivers are like this and, and Washington drivers go like this. Yes, go off, King, uh, though. For real. We're here because uh, Marin has good taste. 
This is actually the first time I'm speaking with Marin in any sort of real capacity. Damn. We follow each other around yeah. on social media and stuff, and I felt like she had some good taste and would bring an interesting perspective onto the pod. So we have a guest choice this week. We have two, an album and a movie, both Marin's choice. Uh, so let's get started then with your album pick, as we typically do on the show. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I picked Sprinter by Torres. I, um... Claps, 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 claps. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, like, before I, like, introduce it, I want to know, like, if you two were, like, previously, like, familiar with this album, if you listened to it, like, that sure, sort of stuff. Sure. I don't know. Well, Just to kick it off. <laughs> as is customary on this show, one of us will always ask the other, Mason, were you familiar with this album <laughs> before we actually listened to it? So... Even if you had never listened to a split second of the podcast, you are a pro at this already. But wow. uh, I'll go first. No. Mason, <laughs> had you ever heard this album before? I am certain I listened to Torres when her 2017 album came out. Um, I have nothing to back that up. But when I went to listen to this album on Spotify, <laughs> I was very pleasantly surprised because I had already hearted the first two tracks on this here album. Wow. Uh, which is oh, New Skin yeah. and um, New Skin and Strange Hellos. And I was like, that's weird. I do not have a memory of listening to Torres, but this is proof that I did. Um, that's kind of the best that I can, the best to my memory. So it must have probably been around 2016 would probably be my guess uh, is when I gave this one a spin. So, Marin, how did this uh, album come into your life? If you've been a fan of Torres for a long time, was this sort of your, your way in? Or how does she fit into your uh, your sort of life, I guess? I found out about her because if you're familiar with all of her album covers, she's kind of making the same face in all of them. Like, she looks very intense. She yes. looks terrifying. Yes. Like, her first one is just, like, black and white. Sprinter, like, kind of yes. this, like, purple motif. And then I would say her latest album is the best album cover and the best videos. Like, one of the music videos, she, like, is herself and then, like, a feminine housewife version of herself and then this, like, cowboy version of herself. And it ends with, like, nice. her, like, eating herself out. Like, it's just, like, Whoa. very, <laughs> like, very lesbian shit. Like, Torres is basically someone where she's kind of in the realm of, like, that, like, Angel Olsen, like, Sharon Von Eaton, like, sort of shit, except she's only, like, popular with, like, lesbians and bisexual women. Like, if I, like, post about her online, sure. it's, like, crickets, and then it's, like, three random lesbians. She's like, oh my god, I love this song. And so, I found <laughs> nice. out about her because I, um, you know, live in Olympia, but I would, like, visit Capitol Hill all the time just to, like, sure. go to clubs and bars and see movies that's a neighborhood in seattle and she was coming to town and so her posters were fucking everywhere and it was a picture of her looking like all intense and so like me and my friends are like who's this bitch you know so i looked her <laughs> up and uh the album i just instantly really liked it i mean new skin i really latched on to that song i just think it's so good and so powerful and angry and feminine and just I was totally obsessed and uh I wanted to know everything about her like I loved that it was produced by PJ Harvey's drummer and I'm a huge fucking PJ no Harvey way. fan yeah yeah and Sharon Von Eaton I mentioned her earlier but like she worked on new skin with her and it just like makes complete sense and I just fucking love it so I got like pretty stuck on her but then I discovered 
this was when her third album came out that I saw these posters and I found out she got dropped from her label because the album was a flop and so was Sprinter and people like oh, wow. weren't really fucking with her. She was on 4AD if that means anything to you that like famous like British kind of gothy label. I'm trying to think of like mm. contemporary artists that are also on like 4AD. I'm pretty sure Grimes used to be on that label. Interesting, uh, yeah. Oh, Fear sure. Hunter, I think. And so it's like a pretty like uh, Bauhaus was on that label, so it's like this cool, like, yeah, very I, famous. Yeah, I have their website, and it's like the Nationals, their big one. The National Grimes, <laughs> Beirut Daughter, Deer Hunter, like you said, Big Thief, yeah. Purity Ring, and Future wow. Islands are all in 4AD. What a little lineup they got going on there. They're cultivating Indie something rock, over kind there. Kind of gothy, you know, but like yeah. that, that yeah. Three Futures album, it just like they apparently poured a bunch of money in it you know to like make that like cool sexy video and then no one gave a fuck and uh so they were like sorry queen so i don't know what she's up to now so really i just have this like crazy like bitterness of just like i think she's really good and i think she should be like as popular as like mitski or something but she's yeah. not yeah yeah <laughs> and, yeah that was yeah. my big uh thought Mitski came to my mind a lot listening to this because this album like precedes um Puberty 2 by a year and is yes. like a really good like um because I guess my kind of into I I was so happy that I had no idea Sharon Van Etten had anything to do with this album Sharon Van Etten is a big fave of mine I love Sharon Van Etten yeah, uh me the too. big reason why I saw Eliza Hittman's always something always rarely some never rarely sometimes always from this year yeah. uh was because they used the song 17 in the trailer and sharon van etten showed up as the uh main character's mom in that movie uh, wow and you can hear i like that um it, it's brings me a lot of pleasure to know that someone related to pj harvey and sharon van etten had something to do with this album um because definitely like I think this falls like r right in with like kind of um, it, it's it's just so fucking good and it makes me feel good like those albums make me feel good, uh, you know just how um, the production is just so fucking dark and uh, it's it's a really I don't know I don't want to go too far on this Noah what are your immediate impressions of this album <laughs> Yeah well it is interesting to me. One of the things that you prefaced this with, Marin, uh, when we were trying to figure out what the album was going to be, <clears throat> is that Fantano, of all people, the internet's busiest music nerd, uh, not a huge <laughs> fan <laughs> of this oh. album. And I, wanna, I, I do want to get to that, but I thought that was interesting going in because when Fanthony Famfano, as he's so lovingly called, he... Uh, He's got sort of, I'll just say, a type. Like, he's got a kind of album that if it's got certain things, I think he's more inclined to it. And so when you told me that he wasn't a fan of this album, it made me think it was going to be one thing. It made me think it was going to be, I didn't know anything about Torres. I didn't know anything about this album going in. This was a complete blind first listen for me. And I was so, I guess surprised to hear what I heard because I didn't think that it was going to sound 
as you guys are talking about, like a Mitski. For me, when I was first listening to it, I almost got like stripped down Lord almost is sort of the thing that like came to mind for me. That could be just because I've been listening to the slowed down and reverb heavy version of liability at like 1130 <laughs> at night for the last like two yes, weeks. King. But you know, oh my uh, God. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was really surprised to hear what I heard. And it's basically what you guys are saying. It's very brooding. It's very emotional. Uh, but a track that really stood out to me, I think we should just dive into this sucker and pop this fucker wide open uh, and drink the juice. Because the track oh that God. I think <laughs> the track that really stood out to me the most is actually the last track on the album called The Exchange. And it's very oh, different. Sure from the rest of the album because there's literally faint bird and like outdoor sounds that you can hear like in the background of this song. And it's such an interesting uh, dichotomy from what you're hearing on the rest of the album, which I also enjoyed. I think the titular song, the sprinter is probably my second favorite song uh, on the album. I think it has the most interesting and most catchy sort of like instrumentation and production behind it. But I just kept thinking the entire time, yeah, Fantano didn't like this album very much, and I'm not a Fantano head by any stretch of the imagination. I actually think he gets it wrong most of the time. That's just my own personal opinion. Uh, but I do think he's interesting in sort of like a weird guidepost that the internet has cultivated for like what designates a good album. And so I'm interested, right. Marin, as our guest, what do you think he got wrong, and what do you think his review did for well, Torres, I guess. I, I think he's like, because a lot of people are like pretty lazy when it comes to finding new music these days. Sure. With like, yeah. when I like was young and like first getting into music, like it was like going through the CD racks and the record racks at the store and like hanging out on the internet and like finding shit. Whereas like now it's everything's like pretty either like algorithm based or like hype based in pretty such much. this like yeah. boring way. And I just think, like, blatantly, like, Anthony Fantano is, like, pretty bad at reviewing music made by women that isn't pop. Like, he likes that sort of, like, PC music shit that, like, women do, which is, like, fine and cool. I like some of that. Like, he's, he under he can wrap his head around that. And then any other genre, if it's, like, not about pining for men, I feel like he just can't relate to it. Like, I... He also hates Courtney Barnett, and I'm not really a big Courtney Barnett fan myself. Like, I like her, but she's not my favorite. And he's like always just like, I don't get it with her. Like, she sucks, you know. She was able to like have the hype train like without his sort of push, you totally. know. But I really feel like Torres. Oh, yeah, I, I just feel like she was such this like small artist that like him and like Pitchfork and like all these other like tastemakers being kind of like lukewarm on her was like a really like make or break thing for her career and something that was like really stark in his review and was like new skin like one of my favorite songs on the album he's like very perplexed when he talks about it and he's like i think this is about like going to to church or something and it's like this very like vulnerable like heavy song about like coming out and her sexuality and like being adopted and like relating to her family and shit it's I think it's just this gorgeous, dark song. The fact that he draws from it, he was like, uh, it, it sounds like Hole, and it's about church. I just found that <laughs> so just, like, 
stupid. It's really, you know? re- it's really stupid. It's really reductive. He like, I don't watch his reviews a lot. Uh, every now and then, like the algorithm will say, why don't you check out this Anthony Fantano, like album review compilation. And I'm like uh-huh. seeing him give out 10 stars or like a perfect 10 to albums. That's fine with me. But he, when you wa- only in like get him in your life in that way, like my impression of him is, is he's just so like, his knowledge of music is like so deep and he's such a fucking nerd that he forgets that people make music. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, because I like, don't know how you can listen to this album. Um, and not just immediately think about like, this is such a good album about being like young, I think, and being young and sad, um, and really wrestling with a lot of, um, like just, a lot of transitions and a lot of like realizing yourself like realizing things about yourself as you're growing up and how like terrifying and like that isn't how sometimes sad it is um but there are these really fucking awesome like rock songs and it's it's i'm listening to this album and i'm just thinking like fuck i wish i got a chance to see her in concert because i'm pretty sure my entire spine would have uh left my body and just like went onto the dance floor because there's some good (laughs) fucking guitar song sounds in this album especially on uh sprinter uh in sun you are no island and the kind of like screeching like last section of strange hellos like i just want to be in a crowd screaming out uh i was all for being real but if i don't believe then no one will what's mine isn't really yours but i hope you find what you're looking for like that's some good ass rock and roll songwriting uh and if you don't like women and don't think they make good music, you're just going to be immediately dismissive. So, uh, yeah, Anthony Fantano, fucking I don't like you very much, Whoa. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing down the gauntlet on Fantano, damn. It's just, it really, it really surprised me because I wasn't, like, I wasn't stumbling onto this review video of his as a hater. Like, my friend and, like, old roommate was, like, probably like they're like a music reviewer themselves and like very much like I wouldn't say they're like into like Anthony Fantano but it's like the only real person in my life that like regularly like would watch his content and so through living together I saw a lot of Anthony Fantano so it was more just like a curious thing I wasn't like going in like ready to hate watch it but like that's like the beginning of me hating anthony fantano because he just like he missed so bad and then it made me like go back in my head and just be like all of like the albums that he acclaims like made by women like he really liked that SZA album you know but that's literally like the whole album was about like being into guys and like it's all about like oh like my boyfriend or like the guy that i'm fucking and it's all just like in like his like realm of imagination. And he didn't really vibe with the most recent St. Vincent album, which was her gayest by far so far. Yeah. Uh, which is very, uh, very curious, Ant. Very curious. Uh, and yeah. Pitchford also didn't vibe with that album. So very curious. Very curious, these these blogs out here. Uh, I'm, For the I'm folks at home, yeah, Mason's like pointing at the top of his head, like almost like in a gun motion. He's like got like two <laughs> guns pointed at himself, and he's like got himself at gunpoint. Very curious, very curious. I'm holding myself at gunpoint. But Marin, what is, besides the fact that Mr. Fantano missed the mark on this, uh, what, what to you about the album 
do you enjoy so much if you had to quantify it? What is it in the instrumentation, the lyrics, or what is it about the album that really made you go, damn, I got to show this to my two best friends in the whole world, Noah and Mason? <laughs> I just, I, I, what I like about it is that it's not as a, as male gazy as a lot of like recent, like female rock albums that are kind of like, focused on like obviously I'm a I'm a Mitski fan like I have puberty too on vinyl the be the cowboy one I was kind of lukewarm on but it's like Same. um and obviously I like Angel Olsen too I was actually really disappointed to find out that uh Angel Olsen was heterosexual I just um, I just envisioned that like shut up kiss me song I was like ah that's about chicks you know and then it's yeah. it's not and yeah. so that used yeah. to be like sort of like yeah, that used to be, like, my, like, mating call song when, like, I saw, like, some, like, hot butch, and it would be, like, oh, oh, and it was just, like, that song's, like, so fucking gay, but, um, all, all of those artists, just what really, like, hits me with Torres is that she really is just, like, this kind of, like, powerful protagonist in all of her songs, and she's just so bold, yeah. but also so vulnerable, and uh, I just relate to it way more than a lot of these, like, songs that are a little bit more, like, wilty. Just like, won't somebody kiss me now? Where it's like, she's, like, asking these, like, really big, like, kind of spiritual questions, like, tied to her sexuality. And obviously I like the instrumentation that it's, like, kind of heavy and kind of gothy almost. Sure. Like, I was a huge yeah. fan when I was younger. I don't know if either of you are familiar with uh, e EMA, Erica M. Anderson, but it I'm reminds not, me no. a lot of... Not me. She did this kind of like weird, sparse, heavy, kind of folk gothy album that came out when I was younger. It was very significant to me, and I feel like she was... Like, that was, like, for teenage me, and then I found, like, Torres, like, as an adult, and just, like... In January, I will just be 23 and like all that shit yes. where it's like, I'm like right, right there in my life, like right now where it's like, I'm making all of these decisions about like what I want to do with my life and who I am. And I'm not like, I'm like in this like nice, like cozy, like stable relationship. So I don't have like these sort of like romantic pinings in my head. It's more like. I'm like thinking about my my art and like like these other like sort of like broad philo philosophical questions that she's getting at and so it just like hit me in like the perfect time in my life and obviously I was honestly torn between focusing on this album or her more recent one because I like her most recent album a lot too but that one I feel like is more St. Vincent-y. It's a little bit more emotionally distant. There's more like kind of character mm. songs on it, but this one like felt so personal and raw. Definitely. That's one of my big impressions from this album is just how um, centered she feels in this album. Um, and like, as opposed to St. Vincent, who I think is, who's a songwriter that I really like a lot and whose out music I return to a lot. Um, she does, tend to write about her experience through the prism of characters. And I think Mitski also does that same thing. Um, and both of them are fantastic songwriters who I love and I, whose music I listen to a lot. But what is really uh, was exciting about this Torres album, listening to it, was just really being in uh, Mackenzie Scott's like kind of life and emotional state whenever she was making this. 
uh, and that's the shit that I like. Noah, what's some shit that you like? What's that shit that I like? <laughs> yeah. I like this album. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, I think that the Mitski comparison is one that I wasn't thinking about while I was listening to it um, through. And I will be honest, Mason, I only listened to this one one time through. Okay, I'm I'm brave enough to admit when I only listened to it one time through. Okay, that's cool. I did two and a half, so uh, yeah. I got one and a half up on you this week. Yeah, no worries. You'll get absolutely skull fucked next time. Uh, but um, the the impression that I get, and also doing a little bit of background on her, sometimes doing a little bit of background research on the artists, I feel like doesn't actually help me. It's like, okay, who cares? You know, like I'm just here to listen to the music. But what I found interesting about her doing a little bit of background research is that she was heavily interested in musical theater growing up and that she claims mm. that it was a huge and still continues to be a huge inspiration in her music. And what I thought to myself when I heard that was, you have got to be kidding me because I couldn't hear that at all. But now that we're talking about it right here, right now on this podcast, it actually does make a little bit of sense. And it's not, I don't think, the element of musical theater where you have, you know, 30 cats all on all on stage, you know, running around and like licking each other's nutsacks or whatever. It's the element of musical theater. Man, I fucking wish though. I it's honestly the same. Honestly, if this is a jealous I don't is it jellical or jellical album? Jellical. Like, jellical cats I at the jellical musical ball. theater. Like y'all. I'm sorry, I'm fucking up I did them them plays. That was me. That was you. That I was, was also doing some plays, but I never, I never was a Jellicle cat. Had sung a Jellicle song, but the reason why I bring it up is because I was shocked to hear that, only having listened to this album. But after thinking about it and listening to this conversation and engaging in this conversation that we're having right now, I think it makes a lot of sense that she was influenced by musical theater because I think that uh, the music in musical theater is often there to express things that can only be stated in song. They're too important yeah. to be stated in dialogue. And a lot of the time with what she's talking about in this album, I think it has a lot to do with her identity. I think that's what a lot of this album is about, you know, and I think that that is oftentimes what people are singing about in musicals. They're things talking about things that they want and how they want to be treated and how they wish that they fit into a world or how they feel like they, you know, are hopeless or whatever. They're these big moments. And I think that that's a lot of the same things going on here uh, in Sprinter by Torres. And so to kind of wrap it up, because we do have a whole movie that I also want to talk about that we've, <laughs> that we've got sort of looming in the background. Uh, my, we do a little segment. We're introducing this new segment. I don't know how it's going to work for music. We did it on our, our Wait, episode. Wait, you wanted that... this to be included in the music part as well? I think, I think so. It doesn't work super well for this album, but I'm going to just point out that my... <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying here what is, is wait, no, this surprises me even. Okay, so in the Married to the Mob episode, which was we recorded two episodes ago, we okay. uh, talked at length, Noah and I and our guest Ian Campbell, about Mercedes Ruel's performance in that movie, and we uh, came up with the MVP or the Mercedes Valuable Player or the Mercedes Ruel Honorary Valuable Performer in a movie, you know. And so we recorded an episode where we talked about three movies and we had all us and all the guests had our different Mercedes valuable players for the movies. Uh, I was not expecting this to be an album section award <laughs> as well, just because I don't know how it would 
fit, I guess. I feel like we can. Uh, I feel like with a with an album, it it's easier if you do a band. I feel like it's easier if you're like, I love the way that Chad Smith is drumming on a Stadium Arcadium in for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Sure. But I love that I'm you just go- had that immediately. <laughs> Listen, it's 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 a sickness, and I'm working on it. <laughs> but. Uh, I think it can work for the albums as well. So you don't have to play along, Mason. I'm going to play the Mercedes Valuable Player Award for the album section as well. And I'm going to give my Mercedes Valuable Player Award to the song The Exchange. That's what I'm going to give my award to. I like it the most on the album. I think it resonated with me the most. It's very different from the rest of the songs on this album. They're literally, like I said before, there are faint bird sounds and sounds of the, like, near outdoors. You have, I got the impression she was, like, playing this song on a porch or like with her bedroom window open. That's sort of the picture that it paints for me. Uh, and also I couldn't help but think every time she said mother father, which she says a lot, she was saying motherfucker. And so I thought that was just kind of funny, but uh, that gets my uh, Mercedes valuable player award and just her vocals in general, I think. Uh, so I recommend this album Mason, do you want to give a Mercedes Valuable Player Award, or do yeah, you just want to say that you I th- recommend I've, it? I've okay. found something. So I think my Mercedes Valuable Player is going to be the chorus from Ferris Wheel. Uh, you hide behind glasses and music and wit. You laugh at yourself and then roll cigarettes. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do to show you that I've got the sadness, too. To show you that I've got the sadness, too. Uh, great little bit of writing there about how exhausting it is to be in a relationship with a pretentious person who... Yep. Uh, hides who simultaneously hides their sadness behind these sort of uh totems of like uh uh the bohemian lifestyle or something uh i don't know but you know what i mean like no i just love it that's like what my dad would say when like my (laughs) mom would let me read the alt weeklies be like you and your bohemian lifestyle letting our daughter read these magazines that have uh, porn and weed ads in the back of them so that's just such a loaded phrase for me mason continue it just Uh, it haunts me you really I got think my Mercedes Valuable Player to that rant, actually. It just it just completely steamrolled whatever else I was going to say. But I also, I full recommend this album. This is a, uh, I can imagine actually returning to this album a lot in the future, which is really exciting for me. Uh, Marin, uh, what's what's your Mercedes Valuable Player for this, for this album here? And would you recommend Sprinter by Taurus? Well, um... Duh, Chris, I would recommend it. <laughs> That'd be like fucked up if I like brought an album I was like ambivalent about. Like it, it's underrated, but for good reason. Like only a few people <laughs> like it. I feel like that we kind of had an episode like that, but that we don't need to get into that right now. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> that was a crazy but, um, episode. I would say that just I feel like uh, I mean I would recommend it because I feel like she fits into the pocket of like she's similar to a lot of like more popular artists for like people are just like super into like it's like you know like all these memes where it's just like crying to Mitski crying to like all this and so it's like cry to Torres too you know like shake it up like I feel like people that are like really passionate about those artists I feel like Torres like came like a little bit before and like just like different like factors in her career kind of like made her stumble a little bit but like I feel like she has this like crazy built-in audience and like my Mercedes valuable player, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, yes. I don't know. 
I, I don't want to be like flip, but I feel like it is just like her her lesbianism, her queerness. Damn. I just there feel like that's like why this album like sticks out to me compared to those um, other ones, just because the uh, the issue of like identity comes up so much in her music when it relates to her being like adopted. Like that's like a huge theme on the album, like the exchange, you sure. know. And, like, the whole, like, shit with the parents. But, like, also her just, like, coming to terms with, like, sexuality and, like, gender performance. And just, like, all, like, the crazy shit that just, like, goes through, like, one's head when you, like, realize you're not straight. And uh, I just, like, love, like, queer music that's also, like, not necessarily, like, super, like, literal, you know? It's so... Yeah. So that's, that's my that's my big point with it. Well, I do love giving an M- a Mercedes Valuable Player to an ab- to an abstract uh, sort of concept that is a big that is some big energy, and I'm all about it on this here podcast. <laughs> well, speaking of big energy, <laughs> we got a movie. To, we got we got a movie to talk about here. Uh, thank yes. you for bringing uh, Sprinter by Torres uh, to our attention, Marin. But we're gonna move along now to the movie uh, of the episode, which is 2011's. Young Adult, directed by the one, the only, Jason Reitman. Claps, 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 claps. He gets mild claps. Written by a favorite of the podcast, Diablo Cody, though, I think more importantly. Woo! Yeah. Yeah! Yes! Yes! Yes, Diablo Cody! Yes! (laughs) I don't know if you know this. We have already covered a Diablo Cody movie on this pod before. In our very second episode, we had a very feverish discussion about the film <laughs> Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's did. Body, one of those films that I didn't see it at the time. I returned to it after it had already been like critically like reappraised. So I wish I could have been one of those bold people when I was getting dragged through the mud to be like, this movie is good. But anyways, continue. Uh, no, I- it's a good movie. Noah feels differently about that. But uh, <laughs> very excited. So Marin... Uh, coming back, uh, you are, this is a movie that I, um, it's from 2011, starring Charlize Theron as well, Patton Oswalt, Patrick Wilson, Elizabeth Reiser, uh, I am not sure if I'm missing somebody, but, uh, yeah. So, Baron, did you see this, uh, movie when it was out in theaters, or did this come to you a little, uh, after that? I um I saw this movie with my mom. Actually, me and my mom oh, wow. have like always gone to the movies together all the time and uh oh, nice. she was the one who suggested it. It was just like showing at like our local art house theater and she was like I like she's one of those people that she has like great taste in movies but like she doesn't know it. Like she's always like oh, I love down that. on herself. Like she like showed me from like a young age was showing me like Todd Haynes movies and like all these oh, like Oh my god. Yo, that rips. Yeah, and she like she would just Your be like, cool as hell. Ooh, I don't know. I just like found it like at the record store. I just like her, and I'm just like, no, mom, it's like cool as hell that we were like watching like Far From Heaven and like Velvet Goldmine and shit. So, <laughs> did you watch Safe with your mom? That would be pretty rad. No, I actually saw Safe for the first time recently because it's on Tubi. Tubi fucking rules for any listeners that need some like cool new movies. Tubi and Pluto TV is like what I use to watch most of my movies. Oh my god, my roommate's been really heavy on the Pluto TV recently. Uh, he got a brand new like 4K <laughs> TV and he's been going hardcore on the like comedy bang bang TV show channel. Oh. 
sure. I don't know that one. Interesting. I think that one's on like IFC or something. Um, I mean, there's, I got to poke around Pluto TV, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, so you saw this movie with your mom. So I saw it with my mom and, uh, I usually, unless it's like been bombarded with advertising, which like most like kind of like indie-ish movies aren't, I don't really like try to read a bunch before I watch the trailers. So I didn't really know what it was. I was just like, okay, cool. Charlize Theron. Let's like watch this movie. And I just remember just instantly really loving it and it's kind of since i saw it in the theaters like it is like my comfort movie which sounds crazy because it's this kind of like dark kind of like sad tragic movie in some ways but is the movie that i put on when i can't figure out what to watch and i just want to have something like familiar on in the background that i've seen a billion times that's what young adult is for me because it just like it hits like all the marks for like what i find satisfying in a movie so i just really love it and just like identify with it is maybe not like the correct word but it just i don't know it makes me feel very we will definitely get into all those reasons why here before uh before not before long but mason uh i'm curious (laughs) did you (laughs) when did this movie come into your life mason uh, so I was, when I was in high school, especially when this movie was coming out, a big Patton Oswalt head. Sure. Uh, sure. And oh, yes, that's kind of how this movie came into my uh, periphery. Uh, I saw the movie Big Fan, I feel. That was a movie he was Oh, in. my God. Uh, that's a movie that would, like, fit in perfectly on this podcast. I haven't thought about that me movie and my mom in saw literal that years. together, too. Oh, Damn. Okay. Let's get the gang back together for Big Fan at some point. But basically... <laughs> yes. Uh, I remember when this movie came out, there was a big talk about him maybe getting an Oscar for his uh, yes. and <laughs> Matt Freehoff. And then when he didn't, um, when the day that those nominations were announced, it was like, that was the year Christopher Plummer won for Best Supporting Actor for Beginners. It was kind of like the career cap or like he was totally undefeatable. Uh, but it was also like there's rumblings that Andy Serkis would be nominated for that for that fucking monkey movie. Um, and there would have been like a kind of interesting best supporting actor series. Uh, but it went to like your your old favorites, your old white men's basically. And I don't know. I, I'm not I don't have the list in front of me. Can't say exactly who was. But he had this like string of tweets that was really funny about like morosely getting drunk with like like uh, Andy Serkis and then like Christopher Plummer and Ian McKellen drive by like both mooning them or something. Very so good. That's a funny bit series. Um, and then it must have definitely been 2012 because I didn't see this movie when I was in living in the city. I definitely watched this movie at home, uh, probably from a library that I got from the DVD, uh, a DVD that I got from the library rather. Um, I talk so much for my fucking job, guys. My just brain is just completely like this. Uh, anyway, so I got the DVD from the library because I had seen Juno, and I remember really liking Juno. And uh, the, the the premise kind of was intriguing, and so I watched it. And I think that, like, the thing that stuck with me the most was it was one of the first movies I saw that really accurately depicts what it's like to live in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest, specifically. Gotcha. Um, so... That was that, and I honestly hadn't... I had a fond impression of it, but I hadn't, like, thought about it too much until, like, probably one of the Facebook groups that Marin and I are both in. Like, she brought it up a bunch, and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, that was a good movie. But I hadn't thought to, like, sit down and actually rewatch it until it was brought onto the pod. Uh, but, yeah, so Noe, buddy. Yes, he. Yes. What's your, what's your history with 
Jason Reitman Diablo Cody's young adult. So, uh, thanks for asking, by the way. Uh, <laughs> appreciate it. Um, I first saw this movie in 2018, the summer between my junior and senior year of college. Uh, I remember I had a really bad cold. Like, I just was like, I literally was sick. Like, I was like sick and watching this movie. And I remember it was like really bad timing because the school year ended. I got sick like right at the end of the semester. And then I was about to start two different internships in like three days. And I was like, oh, that sounds so exhausting. It was like pretty brutal. And I like called my parents and I was like, I think I have to tell them I have to push it back. And they're like, you're going in, you're going in, you're doing it. I was like, fuck, I have to do this. And so uh, I remembered, I was like, well, I got to make the most out of these like three days that I have like between uh, the end of the semester and the beginning of these internships. And I guess one of the movies I watched at that time was Young Adult. Uh, I really used to love Jason Reitman when I was younger and first starting and getting into film. I think Juno is probably the poster child for the indie darling movie, that and Little Miss Sunshine. I feel like those are like the two poster childs for what became like the indie like phase of American independent like films for like the mid to late two thousands, <laughs> potentially going forward. I don't know if that era has sort of ended maybe like Sean Baker has sort of like reinvented what like an American indie like means and feels like and can be, but that's not really the point either way. He was just one of those guys that I was like, Oh, he's actually making like interesting movies about interesting people. These aren't, you know, shoot 'em ups. These aren't car movies. These aren't, you know, big tit movies. <laughs> these are movies <laughs> about people with interesting, interesting problems, you know, and I thought I was like, that's cool. I think up in the air is probably my favorite current Jason Reitman film. I think that that is probably his best work, but to be totally honest with you, when I first saw young adult, I didn't like it very much. I was not into her. I was not into Mavis. I could not get on board with Mavis. And I have to think now looking back on that moment that I think my cold did have something to do with it because it's not necessarily a movie you have to be patient with, but it's not also necessarily the most like, it's not going to just like hand it over to you. She's definitely a little bit of a prickly pear as far as characters are concerned. She's not the most upfront likable character in the entire world. And at the time I was like, I didn't like this one very much. And I kind of wrote it off. And I even told, I will admit, I told Mason when he was like, yeah, my friend Marin, I got her. Like, she's like able to do the show. I was like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) And he said, yeah, she wants to cover young adult. I just said, that movie sucks. And a smiley face. (laughs) That is what I said. But I I am happy to announce. Well, listen, I'm about to be even more honest with you. Because after watching this movie in preparation for this podcast, Uh, I like it more than I did before. That is what I will say to start out. So I'm a little bit on thin ice with Jason Reitman, just as far as like, I think I used to think he was a lot cooler than I did before. I actually watched Thank You for Smoking in preparation for this pod as well, because I had never seen that. That was his first movie. And I was just sort of interested to be like, oh, like that's probably like one of the bigger ones I hadn't seen. I liked that one. That's kind of where I'm at. I'm a little bit ambivalent toward <laughs> Jason Reitman as a whole. Used to love him. Now I don't like him as much. Now here we are. But let's really, again, I'm going to you know, sink my teeth into this. So, Marin, what is it about young adult that you just can't get out of your head? Why is it your go-to? Well, what I love about young adult, and it's interesting 
that you like kind of like there was this barrier between you and this movie because like Mavis is such a prickly character and what I love about Mavis is like as like a film fan for like basically my whole life you know like shout out to like junior high movie club you know I have oh yeah enjoyed like male characters very similar to her my whole life and I find her like reprehensible but like instantly like I get her I understand her I find her hilarious because so often those kind of like depressed female characters are just so like sexy you know and so just like they show up and they're all like i'm all damaged and i'm here to fuck you and it's like she kind of like (laughs) has that sort of spin but like you see how like fucking gross she is like i was just hooked from like the opening scene where like she's all like dirty and depressed and like doing like we fit and like drinking straight like like diet coke and i'm just like Yeah. yeah I never see that, like, with women, even in, like, cool, like, kind of, like, chill movies, like, we're still, like, always just, like, portrayed as just, like, effortlessly, like, perky and hot. Like, it's just, like, a part of being female to just be, like, sexy all the time. And you see her in the act of, like, making herself attractive, you know? She, like, rips her hair out and she, like, puts on that hairpiece. You see her get a manicure, like, multiple times in this film, so you see this kind of, like, performance of femininity, but she's really just, like, you look at her and, like, you know she smells, you know? You know she smells, right, like, right. body odor and, like, perfume, like, oh, doused yeah. over it. And it's just... I love that she's, like, simultaneously, like, really funny and really witty, but also just, like, this gross character that I instantly, like, from the beginning, it's that sad depression montage, and it's her and her friend, like eating mcdonald's in minneapolis and being like oh we're so like metropolitan like we're in the city and it's like i've been to like (laughs) minneapolis like i guess maybe oh yeah maybe it's like a sacramento person you know like being like kind of like a midwest like i would say like one of the most midwestern cities in california besides like bakersfield or something it's like no one's like oh i'm going to like the big city of sacramento you know it's like there's no prestige like they kind of like feel (laughs) this major separation from their life and their small town but like who who are they kidding you know it's this total exactly and i just find that really like kind of hilarious but sort of like relatable because like sacramento is this like total like victim complex like every time i like go home and visit they're like trying to market themselves as like oh we're like hot portland like come to our breweries please (laughs) and it's just like so desperate and sad and i'm so like weirdly defensive of the city like when i saw lady bird and that like quote in the beginning where like joan didion's being all like you never spent a christmas in sacramento or whatever and everyone's laughing and i'm just like shut up i can laugh about (laughs) sacramento but you can't because they're trying very hard so i just really related to that whole just kind of like she didn't like escape her small town and like move to like New York or LA or something like she's still in Minnesota. She's still like kind of stuck and sounds like recently divorced, you know, and like she's kind of like a loser, but she like carries herself like she's so much better than anyone. And I just find it really comical, but also really sad. So I don't know. I no, I love that. I I love. Um, this is another thing that I love about like Diablo Cody, and especially with this movie, is 
Jennifer's Body is also a movie that I think gets a very specific like Midwest fall feeling just right. And I, I will agree with you on that, Mason, regardless of how I feel about Jennifer's Body. I'll agree with you on that, but continue. <laughs> but this is a movie that very that gets very well like not I won't some people that I grew up with and some people that I went to high school and like you know my big city was Chicago or is Chicago that's where I am now I'm big Chicago yes. I'm in the city <laughs> Mason is big from, Chicago baby <laughs> I, I am not from a town nearly as small as Mercury but it does look like those neighborhoods look just like like the houses that are around like my high school basically and I didn't grow up in a house like that but it still looks like Oh, spot on Diablo, spot on Jason Reitman, spot on, you know, location manager, people that found these places. Um, and it gets that very specific, like, Diablo Cody is actually from the town, like, sort of right next to where I grew up. Oh, um, shit. Yeah, yeah. She was born and spent some time in Lamont, Illinois, before moving to Minnesota. And I'm, like, Lamont Road, which is the main street in Lamont, like, you take that out of town north. And then you, like, literally pass my street, basically. Um, and what I like about this movie so much is it has, like, a kind of... Because it's set in the Midwest, and because it's set in specifically Minneapolis and in, like, rural Minnesota, that there is, like, a cap for people's ambitions in this movie and for their characters that feels, like, so real to the experience of, like, being in a shitty small town and, like... In my case, performing uh, as a high schooler in a jazz quartet at the local uh, Irish-themed bar for the guys playing, like, uh, uh, video, video slots, slots yeah. at 1 o'clock <laughs> on a Saturday. It's awesome. <laughs> the same kind of place that, uh, nip, what's it called, nipple, um, nipple Confusion? Yeah, uh, oh my god. The same kind of bar that Nipple Confusion would be playing in. So... Even again, I have a big affinity for this movie. And what I like about Mavis is exactly what Marin was saying, where she's, and what both of you guys have been saying actually is like, from the top, you know that she is um, a character that you are going to, you're not conditioned as an audience member for the most part to sympathize with a woman that is this depressed and still like functional, we'll call it, can still like make herself like look good, but is clearly like, um, into this routine that is just like exacerbating her depression and making it worse. And what I love is that she is like a successful creative person and she uses her creative, the way that they use her creativity and her voice and her writing in this movie, I think is really spectacular. Um, but it's, she's, there's a cap to her sort of career where she's not like this huge, well known, established like writer in Brooklyn or something. And then she gets like exposed for having bad tweets on her profile, so she has to go back to her <laughs> young adult hometown too. in like Kansas City or something. <laughs> she's like she's a ghostwriter for like a uh, uh, like a Sweet Valley High a YA book, bunch of books. Yeah, and it's particularly like in this moment where like YA is coming to mean like what Matt Freehoff says, vampires and less like. Um, basically like teen problems we'll just say or like you know high school like high schoolers are basically um yeah i love the character of mavis i think that was my biggest surprise on this rewatch was just how far fall i was gonna fall for mavis and how far i was gonna fall for charlie theron's performance um we don't need to get into mercedes valuable player right now but what did you guys think about like the performances in this movie because i think this has a really spectacular cast 
Marin, you want to take that one first? You read my mind. I was about to ask you if you would like to go first. So so polite <laughs> on, this, on this podcast. But um, I really enjoy... I, I said my whole piece about, like, what I feel about, like, her character is just her in this kind of insular way. But I really love her and, like, Patton Oswalt's character kind of like like symbiotic relationship that they have like they're both these kind of like depressed characters but they cope in completely different ways and i just love sort of the the undercurrent of diablo cody's work that's like informed by her being like kind of this like early 2000s hipster basically like the fact that like the teenage fan club song like how it's used like in the movie and like the the replacements posters and the background and like all that shit is just like my shit and like music that i i love and like things that i'm interested in like i just finished her book and it really explains everything about her whole vibe because it was written even before like juno came out and when she was just this kind of like all weekly kind of like slightly problematic like edgy white woman just writing about like (laughs) i'm a stripper but like ironically i was always under the impression before i read this book because it was always um presented when like juno like blew up the sort of like thing right diablo cody was like she was a stripper and then she became a writer and it's like no the real story is she was, like, this college-educated kind of, like, hipster chick that was, like, feeling kind of stuck at her job. And it was, like, 2006, you know? So this kind of, like, hyper-sexy, weird period in time where she's just like, I don't know how I feel about myself. Like, I'm just gonna, like, start stripping, but, like, kind of ironically and always kind of, like, insecure about it because she was, like, older and she's like, am I hot enough to be doing this? And so it really, like kind of turns Diablo Cody from at least for me it was always like prevented like presented as this like invincible like hot chick that like just started writing just because to this like dorky indie girl that also stripped and so the character of Mavis and the character of like Matt Freehoff just feel like these two parts of her that are just completely articulated perfectly by like I think Patton Oswalt is so perfect and funny in this movie just like her little foil. I love the uh, the wife of Buddy Slade. What I love about her is yeah. she has like the worst haircut. Like it's like the worst yeah. fucking haircut. She's like a cute girl. Oh yeah. But like those bangs like just suck. And I feel like there's like certain like aesthetic choices in the film that like play into like Mavis's like superficialness, you know? And where it's like she's obviously like so much of a cooler more like put together person than her she has her band she like has her like career helping kids and she's just like those like fucking bangs you like get into like mavis's head where i'm just like girl like get another haircut and i just think it's like <laughs> so brilliant just like how just like these little like kind of decisions or like the scene where um they're like meeting at that like shitty chain bar and like Mavis is in like a cocktail dress and it's like in the middle of the day in like some strip mall. Yeah, yeah and then she, she just starts, starts texting gibberish to herself. Yeah. Yeah, on a Blackberry. Like, I, mean, I had <laughs> that on a phone. Blackberry. Oh my god, yes. I had that phone <laughs> yes. until February 2014 and then I got the iPhone, but I had that phone for a long time uh and i got so good at texting on that motherfucker it was such a delight to see my old friend on screen again 
<laughs> and he and honestly, looking good, I will say. That Blackberry, it fit really well into the movie. Yeah. Like it looked oh, yeah. good. <laughs> I just think it's such a visual movie for having like not like very like memorable like cinematography. I think just like a lot of the like set design, a lot of the like costume choices just like give you oh, yeah. so much visual information, especially like with with my work, I feel like like my short films is like visual first, like story second, because you just like kind of get all this information through that. I just really felt that with young adult, and I feel like it honestly like wouldn't work if it did have more like cool, gorgeous, like experimental cinematography. Like it's a pretty like yeah. basic looking indie movie, but just like these certain like little choices, just like. They just click, and I'm just like, yes, I understand this character entirely. Oh, yeah. There's a great shot in this movie that I love, which is just, um, I think it's outside of Buddy Slade's house, and they, uh, I think it's Matt and, if my memory is correct, uh, Matt Freehoff and Mavis have driven to, like, his house, and it's, like, just after the rain, and there's just, like, the reflection off of the asphalt, and I'm like, oh, baby, that is a good <laughs> shit. That is what I want to see more of in a movie is wet fucking asphalt. Uh, I also love Elizabeth Reiser in this movie. She, uh, I gave a little squeal when she popped up. I forgot that she was Beth. She's one of my favorite, um, character actors. And you are absolutely correct that that is an atrocious haircut on her. And it's, like, such a good, I think, like, hair and makeup decision to just give this woman the most, like, it's clearly, like, that was her haircut that she had 15, 20 years ago. And it just decided that it was going to work with her, basically, Mm -hmm. for the rest of rest of her life uh being from the midwest i i can say this but uh not a lot of women know how to get their hair cut correctly in the midwest it's like they have one like kind of can i speak to your manager look and that is uh <laughs> that is it uh noah who's who were some what were some standout things for you this movie who are the standout performances so like i said earlier uh when i first watched the movie i just wasn't that big of a fan of the movie uh at itself and I really think, regardless of Diablo Cody's uh, script writing ability, regardless of Jason Reitman's ability as a director, or really anybody else in the cast, this movie lives and fucking dies by Charlize Theron. Like, it yeah. just, it doesn't work without her, I don't think. I think that she is the the secret sauce to this film. She is, she is the stuff. She is giving such a... It's a very difficult thing to do, I think, uh, and I think that's why maybe it didn't land for me the first time is because it is such a difficult thing to do of being so frustrating but so interesting at the same time. And she's doing the most, like, incredible job of that in this movie, and I was just so impressed by her performance this time around. And not to, you know, not for nothing, but Patton Oswalt is stepping up to the plate big time in this movie as well, you know, I think... Uh, and uh, like he is, he's giving her something to work with. And I think that there is a, sometimes a stigma when comedians get tossed into roles like this. It's like, Oh, well, can they really do it? You know, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of how I think I felt about before I turned it on Ray Romano being cast in Paddleton, just knowing Mm -hmm. what that movie was on a logline basis. That movie is about a guy who has cancer who basically is like, I want to die and I want you to help me. And that doesn't sound like the most like indie fun dramedy, I you but just somehow it is. Paddington weird. So I was like, that just like, that was a roller coaster <laughs> for me. 
Yeah, Paddington. Ray Romano is Paddington. Bear. I've never I'm seen it, it so I was like, I don't know. Maybe he's the bear. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Paddington Three is uh, Paddington Three is Ray Romano's been recasted and asks um, Mr. Brown to uh, assist his suicide to do a death with, death with dignity with him. Yeah. yeah, real cool stuff for the kids. We got cooking in the kitchen over there, uh, and there's like protesters outside of like the like assisted suicide center that are like that bear deserves to fry and stuff like that. Love the idea of that. But, no, Paddleton, actually a great movie. <laughs> actually, actually just, a good movie to, just a good movie to check out. But regardless, I think sometimes if you are a comedian, uh, there is a stigma against you being able to do things uh, that are not specifically stand-up or, like, the very easy typecast role that you could be playing. And I think Patton, as well, is doing some great work in this. Uh, Pat- Patrick Wilson is just good in everything that he does. Like, he just, like, shows up and he does exactly what he's supposed to do and goes home. And she's got such a small part in this movie, but I really liked Colette Wolf as Matt's sister. Yes. I cannot remember uh, her first name in that movie. I'll, let me go back one page. What is her name? It is, is it Emily? Sandra. As Sandra Freehoff. She gets, like, maybe two real scenes in this movie, but I feel like I know that character so well. The fact that they still live together, even though they're both, like, well into their 30s, like, says, like, so much about the relationship and, like, what is, like, acceptable or, like, maybe not acceptable in that town. Like, they just have such, like, a silly relationship of still bickering and still bantering at, like, you know, 29, 30, 31, however old they are. Uh, it's the performances the for me ranch, that are like the ranch on the table, <laughs> pretty much keeping the ranch on the table, that whole scene. So good. And that actually leads me into one like moment in the film that I wanted to talk about. And that is basically the last 10 minutes of the movie. So spoiler alert for a young adult. It's not really a movie that you need a spoiler alert for, but I'll give you one anyway. I wanted to talk about that last 10 minutes in young adult because I don't know if it's a mixed message that's going on. I think I'm pretty clear on what's going on, but I still wanted to kind of talk about that moment, especially with you, Marin, being such a big fan of the movie. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, here's what happens at the end. Uh, Charlize Theron's character, Mavis, wakes up the next morning uh, in bed with Matt Freehoff. She goes into the kitchen, and Sandra Freehoff is there. And it's this really, cra- this really crazy thing happened when I was rewatching the ending today, where she says uh, the line. The Sandra asks her, "So, do you know how the book is going to end?" And she takes this real dramatic pause, and she just says, "I don't know how the book is going to end." And then I shit you not, Two Headed Boy" by Neutral Milk Hotel started playing on my computer during that scene, and I was like, "Is this some weird like alternative version with like a weird ass needle what? drop in the middle?" I don't know what happened. I must have like hit a button or something, and that just started playing because it was like queued up on my Spotify or something. I don't know, but they're having this conversation. Uh, and she admits to her that she has, Mavis admits to Sandra that she has problems. She literally starts breaking down and crying, and she says, I have problems. And she says, uh, no, you're actually cool. And they have this, like, very, like, interesting conversation about, like, the girl, like, Sandra has always sort of thought that, like, she was, did we lose Marin? Is Marin gone? 
what I what I was saying prior to uh, prior to Zoom zooming itself, which you know, even when you pay for Zoom, ladies and gentlemen, sometimes uh, it's a little bit of an asshole. But uh, I love that scene out there uh, because Mavis is like admitting, and she's finally breaking down, and she that facade is dropping with a person that she would have had a facade with for the r- entire rest of the film that has yeah. preceded it, and she's like. I have problems. And she's telling this person that she barely has a relationship with. And the Sandra Freehoff character, Colette Wolf, looks at her and just goes, what? You're like so cool. And when she said that, I just was like, don't say that. Do not say that to this girl. Do not say that. That is so evil. You cannot say that to Mavis right now. And I just was like, had this like sinking feeling of like, fuck, she is going to get stuck in this like cyclical nature of just doing this over and over again. And that was my thought in that moment. But she kind of perseveres a little bit. She leaves, she packs up her stuff, she goes to a diner, and she finishes writing uh, She finishes writing that book that she's working on that her uh, publisher and her editor have been calling her about. And I think that she finally kind of learns to put Mercury beside her and put, her, put Mercury yeah. sort of in the past. Not in like a fuck this place kind of way, but I think she finally starts to be at peace with where she grew up because not only is this a movie about literally, it's kind of is a coming of age film in a weird way. She just happens to be in her late thirties. This is also about reconciling with where you grew up and a place about home and what home means, I think. And I just think that that ending is really interesting. And I was a little bit shaky on like exactly what's going on there at the end, but I want to throw it to you, Marin. How do you see that ending? What do you think's going on in those last 10 minutes? Well, I think, like, sort of, like, prefacing it, I think what, like, colors, like, that whole sort of, like, end chunk of the film is her breakdown she has, the baby shower, I guess, spoiler alert, you know, when her and uh, Buddy were together, she uh, she suffered a miscarriage, and I think it's uh, one of those sort of things where uh, people will go through, like, a traumatic event and kind of, like, put it away, and it'll come out in other different ways. I feel yeah. like... For her, that was something that she was holding on to, like, the experience itself, but also, like, what could have been, like, when anything is, like, unsatisfactory in her life in Minneapolis, she has this, like, sort of, like, what if that was, like, leaving her kind of, like, stuck and tied to Mercury. So she has, like, she makes this, like, total scene, like, at the, uh, at the baby shower, you know, where she's, like screaming at buddy's wife and just being like like you like podunk bitch you know this is silk and whatever and it's this crazy like bitch out moment and i think after that happens that's when she like goes to like matt freehoff and they just have this whole like like kind of like not like sad entirely like sex scene i find like them like hooking up with each other like kind of like really sweet in this sort of way because i think i think yeah, I think they both, like, needed it, and I think it's, like, one of those, like, ambiguous sort of, like, sex scenes, you know, where it's not, like, it, it's emotional for both of them in their own way, because she's, like, kind of this, like, shallow person, but he sees how vulnerable she is, and they're both just, like, so broken, and just when she, like, puts on his shirt and I don't know I just really like it I just really like it like every time I watch it I I love that I love them hooking up too and I love that like um he gives her 
his shirt and he like immediately like goes like this for the listeners at home i'm like hugging my chest like he becomes like so ashamed of his his body and it's so sweet and then um yeah i really like the ending i love that it's like like to Marin's point she does like the thing that's you don't realize that the miscarriage is hanging over the movie until like that reveal happens like you're not really expecting that to to happen at all and it just makes the entire uh like proceedings it just like makes everything snap into focus i think it's a really good like sort of trick of diablo coding's right diablo cody's writing in this is that you're not expecting that and then it happens and you're like oh wait a minute of course it's perfect that makes so much sense and especially considering like um buddy's basically moved on from it um has like a wife and his own child like the inciting incident is like learning that this her high school boyfriend like had a kid you know and like if you i could see being like a woman that suffered a miscarriage and then getting your boyfriend's like pregnancy announcement and that just like causing you to fucking spiral and be like i gotta fix this like this cannot be like this was not meant to happen this way and just like really latching onto that um fantasy and what i love about this movie and especially in the last 10 minutes is she finishes writing the last waverly heist book series and then she like doesn't have any excuse to think about high school ever again which is like i think also like a big sort of like theme in this movie is her like coming to terms with that time in her life when she was like the queen bee when she was this really like um important respected person and then coming back and like having you know a, a degree of success and it's kind of moved on from this place and realizing just like how um the routine that you follow I, I said routine a lot i think talking about her depression but like the routine of living in there and it's just like uh in a in a small town basically where like you have a strip mall like you don't really go to your downtown you get excited about a chipotle coming to the mall uh oh i you love that like, that part that's such <laughs> a good it's such a good line that what hit her like high school boyfriend is the, the love of her life is excited at like 37 or whatever for a chipotle coming in like that's what he really has to look forward to and realizing like and that's what i love about the conversation between her and colette wolf at the end is i think like we were introduced to Colette Wolf's character and their relationship as um, Colette Wolf has had this like kind of um, fascination with Mavis, we'll say, like is obsessed with her. I kind of read it like she maybe had a little crush on Mavis. Um, that was yeah, a, a I, I think I that's there because she made the, the yeah. brownies, like put them in her locker and stuff and like remember yeah, that whole story. The, yeah, yeah. The combination from her uh, from the vice principal. Uh, and she's like the only person in the movie that will tell Mavis what she wants to hear, but what she wants out of it is a, a way to get out of town. And I love that Mavis completely ducks the, uh, ducks her way being like, no, you belong here. Every town needs like one cool person and it's not going to be me. So see ya. Um, <laughs> and I love that one of the last images of this movie is her, um, beaten up Minnie Cooper. I think that's such a great final image that it's just like. Yeah, this thing is busted, but it's still going to keep moving. Uh, I may have run into a light pole. <laughs> that Also, when she runs into the light pole after driving drunk, that was one of the funniest things I've fucking seen in a little bit here. That made me laugh so hard. Uh, but yeah, but I, I like the I like the ending of the movie. It, it's this like kind of promise that even though she's like busted and destroyed, basically, uh, and still has a lot to work on, there's still like hope that she's going to move forward and um, become like kind of the next best, like the best version of herself after this. 
uh, good movie. So, uh, do we want to get into Mercedes Valuable Players now, folks? Um, yes, yeah. is there absolutely. More to yeah. Great. Okay. Actually, so... before before we before we hop in, I do want to say just there's just two things at the very beginning. Marin brought up the scene where she's talking to her friend and uh, she's eating McDonald's at the very beginning of the movie before she goes to Mercury. And I love in that scene how the friend. I think you. I think this is a fair read. How the friend really wants to be honest with Mavis about how what she's saying is kind of crazy, but like also doesn't want to hurt her feelings and like wants to like be there for her. There's this like little moment of hesitation where the character yeah, just is kind yeah. of like, oh. Yeah, I do agree with you of, like, I'm not being genuine at all. And it just, like, speaks volumes of the kinds of relationships that she's, like, found herself in, which I did like. And it was something that I completely forgot about uh, from the first watch. And I did want to do a quick, tiny little segment, the first segment that we've ever had uh, of this. This is the, wow, did you know that John Malkovich was a producer on this film? Uh, <laughs> that is... <laughs> <laughs> that is this segment that we're about to have right now. These are the top five movies that John Malkovich has been a producer on on the segment. Wow, did you know John Malkovich was a producer on this film? Number five, Oof. Young Adult. Claps, 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 claps. <laughs> Number four, Ghost World. He was one of the producers of Ghost World, which... Okay. Yeah, I knew that, that's actually. Not a... I knew that. Ghost World's an, another one of my comfort films, but I don't think it's underrated at all. So yeah, it's pretty popular. Yeah. Pop pick that one. Properly rated. I think that Ghost World would be a very interesting uh, double feature with the movie Me, You, and Everyone We Know by Miranda July. I think that would be a very cool double Ooh, feature, which is... Feature. I saw that... Saw that movie for the first time, really liked it. Number three movie that I can't believe John Malkovich was a producer on, Juno. He was also a producer on Juno. Damn, uh, John the Number feminist. four movie that I can't believe. You, listen, we love, we love, we stand a, a guy born in the late 40s who's a feminist. Uh, number four movie that I can't believe John Malkovich was a producer on. Art School Confidential, which I believe is the same director as Ghost World. I think that's a yeah. Terry that's another, Swigoff. That's another Daniel Klaus uh, comic book. That's like another one that because Ghost World's like based off of the book, so he the the man obviously like likes comics. There you go, and I think he likes young adult novels as well because the number one movie that I can't believe John Malkovich was a producer on is The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Can you believe that John Malkovich oh, wow. was one of the producers on Perks of Being a Wallflower because I Hello, can't. I am John Malkovich, and I have a book for you. It is called <laughs> The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I am bringing it to you with the hopes of it being directed. I have a cast that I have in mind, but I'm looking forward to your suggestions. Thank you again. This is John Malkovich. Damn, Mason, you just missed John Malkovich on the pod. Can you believe that? Oh, shit. Yeah, I was getting my, my laptop charger. I can't believe I missed it. Anyway, Mason, who's your Mercedes Bible player for young adult? Uh, you know what? I was giving that I would love. Um, you're absolutely right um, that this is a movie that um, lives and dies on Charlie Theron's shoulders. So, you know, I think that it has to. I was thinking about doing like a kind of heat check sort of um, one for her for Elizabeth Reiser. Reiser um, but I decided, no, why not give credit where credit is due? The lead performance in this is really something incredible. So my Mercedes Valuable player is Charlize Theron herself. Uh, watching this, I realized that she may be one of my current favorite actors just because each time I see her, I think she does something 
different, and especially when she's working with Jason Reitman. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw Tully. I saw, thought Tully yeah. was just fine, but she and Mackenzie Davis in it were both really good. Um, so I like Charlize a lot. I think Tully made me good. mad. Tully was that's frustrating. Fair, that's valid. Because I thought Tully was like a gay movie, that's, but then it wasn't. <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> no, but it was at the same time, too. So complicated. I'm like, it's all coming back to me. I don't want to ruin the film. I can't ruin two Jason Reitman films in one podcast, but... <laughs> and I didn't like how it ended uh, up, but it was still good. You know? That's that's pretty fair. That's pretty valid. Uh, but mine's Charlie. It's just because I, I think she's really a, a great uh, performer, an unsung hero, I feel, and does not get the credit. I think she always uh, deserves all the time. But the, uh, Charlie's is my Mercedes Valuable Player this episode. Noah, who is your Mercedes Valuable Player this episode? So easy. Easy pick. Uh, Charlie's Easy pick from Mercedes Valuable Player. <laughs> Uh, like I said before, this movie lives and dies by her performance. Literally, I, I did do you know some shitty research uh, prior to this podcast, and Jason Reitman not only said you are the first, only, and last choice for this role, but he offered it to her in person at the Oscars, at the after party for the Oscars. He just straight up was like, wow. I need you to be this character, Mavis Gary, in Young Adult. So, easy choice. Uh, Mercedes Valuable Player for me wow. goes to uh, Charlize Theron. Uh, Marin, who is your Mercedes Valuable Player? Um, it would be the the song, like the sort of like song that defines the film, the uh, the concept by Teenage Fan Club. I think like the use nice. of that song in this movie is just the way that it's the song that she plays over and over and over on her trip to Mercury and the fact that it's the song that was her and Buddy Slade's song, the fact that his wife's band covers it and how it, like, is this thread through the film. And then she finally... This is actually a tidbit that um, I I didn't realize other people liked this movie until we were talking about it on the movie Facebook group, and I bought brought it up as one of my favorites of the decade carter and a couple other random people were like i love this movie and i was like what are you serious i was like embarrassed to bring this up and something i forget who brought this to my attention but the end of the film is when she finally listens to the song all the way through she doesn't just like listen to like the little beginning over and over again oh, like the ending yeah. of the song ends the film and i think it's like so subtle in the sense that I didn't notice it and some like person on Good facebook point. like pointed it out to me and then i just find that just like so satisfying and great because it's this male gazy song where he's like talking about this like cool girl you know who's down and I feel like it's her like finally getting over like Buddy Slade and being the cool girl and caring about like stupid high school bullshit and like hopefully on the road to like deal with her mental health I just find it very subtle and sweet and it's my it's a great pick greatest. for Mercedes Valuable really Player like honestly that was a dark horse pick but I think that's a great pick. Uh, we're going to do the final rounds on if we'd recommend this movie or not. Mason, do you recommend this movie? Big time recommend. Full recommend. Uh, watch it as soon as you're done listening to this podcast. If you haven't already paused it to start listening, uh, watch it already, or you didn't watch it ahead of time. If you watched it ahead of time, also watch it again. Uh, really surprised me how much I fell for this movie rewatching it. Noah, how do you feel about this film? So, like I said earlier on the pod, first time I watched the movie, did not like it very much. This time watching the movie, liked it more. I don't know to what degree, 
I liked it more if it was like, holy shit, like maybe I'm wrong about Jason Reitman, you know, in my own head now. So for now, I'm going to give it a conditional recommend. Uh, it's absolutely worth <laughs> watching for Charlize's. I know Marin's giving me the aww face on, on Zoom right now, but definitely worth watching at minimum for Charlize's performances. And if you're a Patton Oswalt fan and you haven't seen this, look, he's good in it too. Um, but I'm going to give it a conditional recommend for now. If you're a fan of Jason Reitman and for some reason this wasn't on your list, definitely throw it on your list. Marin, do you recommend this movie? Of course. And I course. appreciate your your honesty, Noah. I would of rather course. you be honest than be like, yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> it was so good. And so I, I appreciate the, the actual take because, I mean, we didn't get into it, but I have some weird divisive movie opinions where sure. I, I'm a big hater of a lot Can of you- films. Can you give us one for the road before we close out the show? What's one, one divisive movie opinion you want to give us? Um, hmm, so many to choose from. Um, I, I think Birdman's one of the worst movies that I've seen of all time. Fuck wow. yes! There you go. There we go. Oh, we are we are two for three. That is you and me, Marin. We are. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. You are at home on this podcast, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if you've if you've listened if you, if you listen to more of these episodes, which I hope you do because it's fun uh, to listen to Mason and I scream at each other, you'll realize that uh, Mason and I I would say seventy five percent of the time are not in agreement, but those sweet twenty five percent of the times that we are, it's just music to my ears and music to our hundreds of thousands of <laughs> listeners' ears. Um, but, uh, you know, I would rather tell you honestly, you know, I, I've, I'm i famous on this podcast for uh, hating British comedy, and I used to just shit on it whenever I got the chance, uh, but I have grown and I have matured to the point where I only say it once. Oh, see, I haven't matured. Comedy. I hate British comedy, too. See, we all have. Yes, we all, okay. See, everybody's right, happy. Yes. Monty Python, <laughs> fuck Everyone's that happy. shit. Not That's funny. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that is, this is right. This is what this. Listen, you should show this podcast to your boyfriend. Show him what left unity looks like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a pretty good example here, uh, Baron. Oh my God! Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is an absolute blast. Yeah, to thank have you. you on. Um, where can folks find you? What are your pluggables? What do you want to draw attention to? Uh, um, well, uh, like was sort of touched upon earlier in the pod i am a filmmaker so um my short film revenge angels is on youtube for free if you type in marin moreno revenge angels you'll find my film if you just typed in revenge angels you get the uh mystery science theater movie angels revenge which is cool too but i didn't make that so put my name in (laughs) and then you can also find a little teaser trailer for my upcoming short film barbacoa which is a uh, bisexual werewolf fantasy. I don't have a specific Whoa. date Damn. when that one is coming out because uh, of the Rona, you know, and I like a little bit of fanfare right. when I do something. I'm not going to do any of those uh, <laughs> online festival bullshit. No. Waste of my time and money. No. Controversial, no. perhaps. No, it's sure. more, listen, it's just so. more time in the pot for it to, like, get all the flavors out. It's just more time for you to... Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm editor, uh, director, so I'm... I'm 
doing it all. So it's really on me. So I guess that's oh, yeah. all I I want to plug. Um, I don't know. Find me on Instagram. I'm Small Cherry Limeade. I'm on private, so you can follow request me, and if you're cool, I'll let you follow me. That's really all there I got. Go. Plug. There you go. Love the love the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marin's uh, Marin's Instagram is Patreon exclusive for our two dollar <laughs> a month donors. <laughs> yeah, and for the hundred dollar a month donor, a she'll actually let you follow her. <laughs> <laughs> that you like follow like do the Patreon, and I'll be like, okay, fine whatever <laughs> you get on my close friends uh, list if you're uh you're uh exactly amount, you know hell yeah hell yeah <laughs> but yeah we'll yeah. link to both your your short film and your teaser trailer and your instagram in the notes below you can follow the podcast on instagram on it's underscore uh it's on underscore the list on twitter at it's on the list pod Facebook, everybody wants to get the number two, get on the list. Facebook.com slash everybody wants to, the number two, get on the list. Uh, email the show, everybody wants to, uh, the number two, get on the list at gmail.com. You can find me, Mason, on Instagram at hotdogtobicky. You can find me on Letterboxd at my name. You can find me on my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the shield. Uh, Noah, where can folks find you? Uh, folks, you can find me on Twitter at Moa Narger. You can follow me on Letterboxd. Moa Narger is my name on there as well. You can follow me on Instagram, Noah.Marger. That's Noah, D-O-T, Marger, Noah.Marger. You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, a podcast about people's favorite things. Each week we have a new guest and they pick the topic for the week. They talk, we are talking about whatever they want to talk about. I have no idea when this episode is going to come out, but as of this recording, we have... Eight episodes. We will have nine tomorrow. You can go listen to the Chris Chalakian episode about hockey and the New York Rangers, uh, which we briefly touched on in the uh, in the big episode that might may or may not be out already at this point. <laughs> but uh, you can go follow that on the socials as well uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Twitter. It is it's on uh, excuse me not is on the list pod. It is uh, my favorite pod at my favorite pod, and then uh, on Instagram it's. Fuck, dude. I'm fucking up big time right now. Fuck it. <laughs> don't follow it. Who cares? I don't give a I fuck. I will find uh, it. It that's makes pretty me want to follow it, it more. <laughs> I know. I will give them just a little bit of a taste and they just take the whole pie. But that's it. I mean, I think that uh, is pretty much all we have to talk about, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is. Uh, if I could throw in two quick recommendos. One recommendo. Uh, sure. Making your own salad dressing. I, re- I made my own uh, vinaigrette for my salad last night and this afternoon. Wow. What? It was really good. So if you could find an easy way to make your own salad dressing i say do that uh, i would also say as our sort of like uh uh so like kind of um community resource spotlight this week uh marin is a big proponer uh proponent and um uh uh stands heavy for the olympia film center i want to say olympia film society is yes that what it's called? yes olympia film society yeah so they're uh they're a small uh theater chain that mary whenever she posts about it makes me very excited i think they are doing good work they have online screening that you can pay for so um i would say doing that or finding another local uh small theater in chicago the music box is doing that even though they're open but don't go to the fucking music box uh please stay safe folks uh our facets cinematech is also doing an online screening thing so just uh be sure you're supporting your small local independent theaters uh and as always i think just to wrap out the show as we like to close out 
Black Lives Matter, Black Trans Lives Matter, and uh, abolish, defund the police, and everybody have a good, lovely rest of your life. That's right. Love it. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 